Voilà. Nous faisons des photos pour le magazine Wave avec KM, le top model. Vous connaissez? Et Harry pense que ce serait formidable de vous avoir tous les deux sur une photo. Une photo dans un esprit un peu spécial, un peu la belle et la bête. Vous voyez? Vous connaissez le travail de Diane Arbus, par exemple? C'était une grande photographe américaine. Elle faisait des photos avec des nains, des géants, des monstres, des photos très, très humaines. Hey, you're listening to In The Cut, and I'm Jesse, and thanks for listening to In The Cut. I'm here with Aaron, and we're going to get right into our episode about Holy Motors. Before we do that, though, I'm going to real quickly just go over the format here means we talk about the whole movie, and so even if you're not someone who's bothered by spoilers because you're a bad person who doesn't know how to enjoy movies correctly, you'll still have more fun with us here if you've recently watched or rewatched uh, the movie. Just because the nature of the conversation is to really just pick apart the details, I try to help you out with that at inthecut.org. You can see links to all the different ways you can watch this week's movie uh, online and enjoy it that way. And I would recommend you do so and come back and join us once you've watched it. Bit of a special caveat for Holy Motors specifically. It's a movie that on disc is uncensored, but I checked in all the streaming services, all the major streaming services, Amazon, uh, Netflix, iTunes, all have a sequence in the film is edited by superimposing a blur effect over some male genitalia in one of the scenes. If you want the purest experience of the movie, you may have to get it on disc, but it's certainly an interesting movie any which way. Aaron and I watched the disc version with no censorship, as is our preference, but uh, your prerogative to uh, watch it however you want, and we're excited to get into it here with you. So let's get started. Hi, Aaron. How's it going? So I t- do you have your whiskey? I have my whiskey. I got a chicken wine. Ch- tell me what chicken wine means. Oh, I, I was really wishing I could come up with some sort of clever lie, but now it's just uh, the wine with the big chicken on the front. That's kind of, I mean, you don't have to lie to be clever. Usually your life is weird enough already. <laughs> Speaking of getting weird, let's get weird <sighs> with Holy Motors. The movie we've watched is Holy Motors, and I love the idea that we tricked someone into watching this movie who never ever ever would have seen it otherwise (laughs) i really just love picturing the experience of someone watching that guy's boner for like four straight minutes just saying the fuck did those podcast assholes do to me how did i get talked into this there was a long boner in this movie i mean (laughs) temporarily long boner not a i mean it was a decently long boner in terms of boner length i don't know Boners. (laughs) Boners. <laughs> I didn't think we were going to start here, but we it's just as good of a place as any, I guess, to start on this movie. Do you think it was a prop boner or a real boner? I, I'm going to guess real. That man was just such a fantastic actor. That, he was. And such a physical actor that I'm going to guess his <laughs> dick was a good actor, too. <laughs> I don't want to get too much in the details of his dick, but the reason I thought the second time I watched it that it might have been a prop dick mm-hmm. is, I think, well, A, is because I think... pornographers will tell you that it's hard to you know you get stage fright when you are you know you don't have a hundred percent control over when you have an erection and when you don't i mean you have a moderate amount of control but it's not the same as like you know opening and closing your hand or something but i don't know that i mean that guy was a trained mime oh right (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's his claim to fame on that skill for you you have been looking at different mimes than I have. <laughs> I, I just imagine there's a certain amount of but I, but, pornographic but, mimery. So the, the the second time I saw it, it just seemed like it was riding low in his business, you know, his groin area. And he had, you know, some a, a moderate amount of pubic hair covering the area. It seemed like it could, someone could have just 
just to make his life a little easier and so he could concentrate on the other aspects of the scene, it might have been a prop. It's true. Yeah. That is true. Okay. Well, I think we've covered Holy Motors. Come back next week. <laughs> this has been Boner Talk <laughs> with Jesse and Aaron. <laughs> One other thing, and then I'll stop talking about penises temporarily. <laughs> I mean, that's as much penis as I've seen in a movie that I can think of. I was trying to think of other movies that I even have seen a penis in. Well, there's sometimes a flaccid penis. Right. That's the thing. And and, and I was so what I thought of was Fight Club and famously the last frame Fight Club spoiler, by the way, if anyone in the world hasn't seen that movie. But the last frame of the movie is a penis. Mm hmm. For, you know, a couple frames. But not such a long penis. Well, that's the thing. And, and and this is a story from, I think, that I got off the director's commentary. I'm pretty sure I didn't, like, type Fight Club penis into Google at any point or anything. But I know, I'm not making any promises. <laughs> I think I got this off the director's commentary. They're talking about... So they... Obviously, the point of it is that they put a frame of pornography into the movie. Like, that's a plot point in the movie Fight Club, is that they're splicing single frames of pornography into children's films. And then the makers of Fight Club splice a frame of pornography into Fight Club itself at the end, just as, like, this wonderful meta crazy moment that, I that you know, is, is famous and well-beloved, as any penis in a movie probably ever is. But what they did was they, they found a picture of an erect penis, you know, from a porno. And they fig- figured out the rights to use it or whatever. They show it to the ratings board, and the ratings board's like, no, you can't have an erect penis. You can have a flaccid penis. And so they they go back to the drawing board, and they're like, well, I mean, because it's from pornography, it needs to be an erect penis. And so what they do is they're just like, they have to just go through slideshows and slideshows of penises of varying stages of erectness <laughs> so they can find the one that's just as close to erect as will be allowed. So what you end up with is a kind of downward arcing penis, but one that's somewhat engorged, I guess. Um, and that was as close as they could get. I love that. I love that. They're just like, well, how you know, <laughs> that could be a, where's the line between flaccid and erect? Because there's a continuum there, sort of a Chuck Palahniuk story right there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna well, close. I'm gonna close my door right now. Too late to block this conversation <laughs> from carrying into my neighbor's apartments. Give me just one second. Um, well, I could think of a couple other uh, erect penises since I think this has officially become. All right, I'm, I'm back. Boner talk. Oh wait, <laughs> I'm back to boner talk. <laughs> <laughs> Who's our sponsor this week? Boner talk. <laughs> We got sponsors chomping at the bit. No, the uh, the other uh, famous cinematic boner I can think of is ironically uh, from the movie uh, Holy Mountain, and they have uh, remind me of the boner. In- <laughs> uh, I believe it was God. I didn't think I was going to say that phrase when I woke up this morning. Um, remind me of the boner in Holy Mountain, please. Uh, I believe it was Jesus's boner while he was like dying in a tree or something. Right. There may have been a few others, but you know. Right. Uh, Holy Mountain was an allegory, I guess. For, yeah, sure. Sure. (laughs) There's also a Polish film, uh, which actually opens on a man with a big boner, and then the boner spits fire. (laughs) I could never find the subtitles, though, so I never finished it. I don't remember (laughs) what that one was called. Sometimes your eyes tell you all you need to know about a story. (laughs) But maybe there is a reason. <laughs> well, that gets that gets us to this movie, I think. There was other things besides the, you know, one relatively short sequence in which a guy's boner is on the screen. But I was thinking, um, maybe for the benefit of a listener who who might have come away from Holy Motors feeling like they didn't get it, we we might just start out by talking about surrealism in general a little bit. Are you okay with that? Um, sure. I mean, I don't know if that necessarily will encapsulate what this movie was about um i don't think it will either but i think it's i think that's kind of the point okay yeah i mean i don't think and of course neither of us are like film scholars or anything so this isn't meant to be like a dissertation Mm -hmm. yeah i mean oh i just i don't feel like it was necessarily coming from necessarily a surrealist or impressionist tradition and i also do i mean you said viewers who might not have gotten it i mean i definitely feel like this is a movie where i didn't get a lot of it 
and and I do think there is a lot to get in it that you know a lot of pretty explicit themes and references that uh, just like not having any real background in French cinema I just don't get sure I think I heard someone say this is like you know this is like a Tarantino film for someone who grew up watching French films in the 50s huh and I think there are and I, I couldn't name like really any of them but so much of the casting and so much of the like there's pretty much scenes straight from other movies um, right. real like a lot of like just homage a lot of uh, mm-hmm. like and the only I mean that I didn't pick up on any uh, any of it except I mean I think the first scene is the you know the opening scene with the director in the theater yeah is uh, a pretty much straight up homage to David Lynch yeah, I want to talk about Lynch more too as we get into it, for sure. I mean, he's he's a big point of reference for me personally, so I, I, I probably will lean on him for comparisons more than someone with a real kaleidoscopic experience, you know, a deep bench of film, you know, directors that they're really familiar with. But but I think I think it's okay to come away from this movie without feeling like you have gotten it. You know, there's a there's a type of storytelling where increasingly weird or inexplicable things are happening as the movie goes on, and then there's a climactic reveal that puts everything in a new context, and it all kind of snaps into place. Like Fight Club, we were just talking about, obviously, right. as an example of that. And it's really satisfying. I mean, that's a there's a reason that's a real popular way of telling a story. And it's because it just did, feels good. Did you expect uh, this to be one of those movies coming into it? Or at least, say, 15 minutes into it? I didn't, but I think that it's a that's a... It, it, that's a well contrast we can make because I think walking out of this movie without feeling like you had that snap, aha, eureka moment is okay and, and doesn't necessarily pull the rug out from underneath the movie. But I think that someone without any real experience in, in a more surreal type of movie might have felt like they missed the boat or that the movie was incomplete or they were just annoyed with it or something. Yeah, I mean, I kind of... I mean, one of the big moments watching the movie for me was when I realized it wasn't going to be that kind of movie when there wasn't necessarily a puzzle right. to pick apart and I, did, I could stop... You know, because I think until, you know, 15 or 20 minutes into the movie, I was still like, is is this going to be that kind of movie? I really hadn't read anything about it coming into it. And so yeah, it's me like, neither. like, is this going to be a puzzle? Is this going to be even like a David Lynchy sort of thematic puzzle? Huh. And I, th- I think at one point I just, you know, real, it kind of clicked for me that no, this he's given us enough hints uh, to what the movie is that we can just sit back and enjoy it and quit trying to look for the puzzle and pick it apart and that's always sure. a wonderful moment in my head when, when i was <laughs> like i could stop ruining this movie for myself and just watch it <laughs> and uh and then it just became so much fun hmm. and with without it you know i don't think i thought thought again about any of the meta aspect of it until two hours after i finished watching it Yeah, and I, I think that, um, well, two things. One, one is I think it's hard to just go to a movie theater and see a movie with a non-traditional narrative structure. I, it's or any like real poetry to how it's written like that and with holy motors we have one that are that like critics are falling over themselves to applaud this movie it's in the it's in so many almost everybody's top 10 of the year and more than a handful of them uh of you know movie critics for for magazines and newspapers are putting it at number one and i think it's the, the the other thing is i think it's really 
I, I, I came to enjoy it more, and I, I came away from it the first time I watched it pissed, kind of pissed off. I didn't, I, I, I was annoyed by it mm-hmm. for reasons I'll get into, but I liked it a little better the second time, and I, I think part of enjoying it was viewing it kind of the way I would watch a play, where again there's nothing there's nothing that you're going to realize that's going to make everything like logically snap into place but i think it's you can constructively view the movie the way you would watch live actors on a stage doing a kind of surrealist right. play built around vignettes and stuff and that felt really like a natural way of of understanding it when i was watching it you know like a movie's not a mirror of reality it's an interpretation of it, and that's all kind of always the case, but some sometimes more clearly <laughs> than others. Yeah, and this was again also you know one of those movies that is I mean so much, and I don't even know if this is thematically the main thing it was, but you know a movie about movies. Yeah, that's we've used that phrase a couple times about a couple different movies. We're gonna have to start getting back to movies <laughs> about explosions and stuff at some point. But yeah, and and about about acting and directing, I think a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you were saying, you know, just how much critics love it. I mean, this was a movie for critics. Yeah. It's not even necessary, but it's so so much a movie about the death of an age of filmmaking, I think, or what the audience, I mean, what the audience brings to a story hmm. is like, I feel like such a recurring theme is like, you know, the actor literally saying like, is anyone watching? Does it matter if no one's watching? Um and I, I think in, in such a lot of ways, like really a movie for critics and maybe and sort of a piece of film criticism in and of itself. I, I want to I don't know if I can really back that up, but I do feel like I felt like it wasn't just playing with media tropes. It was really, really responding. Well, that that gets at one of one of the one of the real big things that came between me and enjoying this movie, which was that. I had a hard time believing the the ideas that made their way into the movie had that kind of authorial intent. Like it felt like a miasma of bits and pieces without. Director is also like eighty years old, so you could be right <laughs> on that. <laughs> like I think he is like in his mid eighties. And, and yeah, and and part of um, the story is that this is his, his return to filmmaking after like twelve years or something mm-hmm. like that. I I think you can. I mean. Watching a movie is a subjective experience, and you know, viewing any or hearing or or experiencing any piece of art is subjective. That's the nature of the thing, right? You bring your own preconceptions and life experiences to the experience, um, and that's like the great thing about art, in my mind. It really, it's if if not the great thing, it's a great thing about art is that you know that's how you become invested in it. But there is also such a thing as like the author's intent authorial intent if that's the even the right mm-hmm. term yeah, I, absolutely so like to come to david to bring david lynch in because that's that's where my deeper experience is it, there's no question in my mind that the lady in the radiator in Eraserhead is embodying ideas about death and about suicide and there's no question in my mind that in lost highway the videotapes that are being left on their porch are like they work in the movie like thoughts and memories that are trying to be suppressed but like, what does a dog roaming around a theater or talking cars or coming home to a monkey family communicate to us? Like, you could say that, I mean, like, you could have responses to it. You could say, you know, I, I was watching that and I was thinking about it. And it's like, at the end of the day, we are kind of all monkeys. Or I, I was thinking about that and life is kind of a weird joke. Or it's a r- director riffing on it on this arbitrary twist ending in, in movies or whatever, but like, sure. It means that why the fuck not? Right? Like there's no, th- mm-hmm. you, you can't challenge that idea and ideas are brought into the movie as part of the premise, but never developed or challenged or like stretched or exercised. I felt like, and, and it makes it, it makes the movies motifs seem like they're not worth the time of even looking at. Or spending any time with well i mean like i was i mean i really got my enjoyment of this movie by really getting away from thinking about it as a movie hmm. you know at some point you know i just you know started enjoying the scenes as as scenes you know not worrying about 
I mean, so much about the meta narrative. Um, sure. Because I really, I mean, I do think that there is a lot more meta narrative there than I got just because I think you just do need this this kind of shared language of, you know, French cinema. Yeah, and I think there were bits that I picked up that really hinted at that there was a lot more connections that I that I couldn't, or that I wasn't um, picking up similarly to you, yeah. Even without it, I mean, there was just so much that was just on its own, just emotionally resonant and fun to watch. I mean, just the that guy literally transforming himself was just I, lo- I loved how it would just hang on the moments of him just in between or halfway through his costume changes and really mm. just seeing the makeup and seeing him transform and then seeing him having fully physically transformed himself and still being his you know still being Oscar and then as mm. soon as he steps out suddenly the performance is you see that that you know how that's the real transformation hmm. so, yeah just, there's just so much viscerally fun about the movie to me that that's that's why i loved it that yeah. i think uh levant i think like like absolutely every person's name i've ever said on this show i'm <laughs> sure i'm mispronouncing but denise it's dennis with one n denise levant that actor i think he's unimpeachable I think he is uh, f- like like phenomenal in a literal way. Like it's a f- mm-hmm. it's a phenomenal experience to watch him in this movie. He's fucking extraordinary, and I and I don't even I can't even think of anyone to compare him to. Just everything from the little touches, like when he's in the character is the I mean, and there's a name of the character and everything that I, that's lost on me. But the the kind of the green suited trollish guy who abducts uh, the, Mir- the kind of the, uh, so how, it, like little touches like how he puts a cigarette in his mouth, mm-hmm. which is he, he puts it in backward and then in one smooth motion snaps the filter off. It's like it, all the way to the huge big things like the mounting burden he's carrying as he goes from one to the other and how it starts to just really grind and wear on him. He's so fucking extraordinary. It just and the scenes that I did enjoy and was lost in, I think that he was just carrying entirely. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I don't know that that was enough to. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. It's tough. Yeah, I, I think just like for me, just letting go of wanting wanting there to be another thing or wanting to be part of it i mean so you felt there was some emotional resonance and i kept feeling feeling like i was coming away really dry except that kind of the whimsy of watching this amazing actor amazingly act i didn't feel like there was gravity to any like emotional scenes or or any of the relationships in the movie yeah i mean there wasn't in the i don't know not not in the same way there would be if there was a real you know straight narrative through line but uh, I feel like even like the fact, the fact that there wasn't the fact that you're not expecting to get sucked into this thing. Sure. Okay. Um, right. Makes it just kind of like a little more extraordinary. And, um, and, and, I and I don't know the moments when it is suddenly funny. I don't know. I, I, I laughed a lot. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it was just a real visceral experience of just like, like almost how you would watch. I mean, I guess you were saying a surrealist stage play. I mean, for me, it's almost like how you would watch a clown or a mime. Hmm. That it well, it was that look at this guy do this amazing thing. Um, <laughs> and this is, I really didn't, I really tried not to read anything about this before talking about it. But I, I sure. did look up the opening scene and uh, the film that's playing, I think. Um, I looked this up a while ago. I can't remember names or anything. Sure. Is you know this kind of nineteen twenties experimental film that really is just looking, just examining human motion mm-hmm. and how that can be distorted through film, hmm. and just like kind of all some of the original like slow motion and speeding up and stretching film and just like having you know people's hands moving at different speeds, and I think for a large part that's just what he was doing was just. Hmm. Um, doing these amazing things with this you know guy who was you know a fantastic actor but i think i haven't really read too much about him but i think a dancer and a mime as his mm-hmm. his main art form sure. um just going through these amazing physical and emotional transformations and at the same and the film sort of doing the same thing all of the scenes if there were scenes in a larger movie very very good competent 
visually striking filmmaking. Yeah, I, I, if I if I look at any individual scene, I, I really like it. I like how they're framed. I like how long the shots typically are, and when mm-hmm. a shot's broken up, I like the rhythm it it creates when it is. I mean, I for, there was no there was no question in my mind that it was a it was kind of a master hand at work. But I, I it was hard for me to get over the hump of that kind of authorial intent thing where where i i think that one of the one of the 10 commandments of filmmaking if there were 10 commandments of filmmaking would be don't waste my time mm-hmm. and and it it's felt a little bit like without any authorial intent that it was a waste of time although you're right that i enjoyed a lot of it too maybe it's less like that and more like Carax, again, I'm just mm-hmm. going to butcher a last name. The director of this movie is more like a Jackson Pollock, and, and David Lynch is more like a Pablo Picasso, where neither is trying to make a photorealistic painting, but one is using one to exaggerate and draw out emotional features visually or in other ways, whereas the other, it's the authorial intent, intent's not really there, but it's still a important piece of art um, in its own right. I don't know if that's a good comparison well, or not. Well, I mean, you, you keep saying that you don't believe that there really was a thorough intent to this movie. and uh, Well, that, that that it was, that things happen that are arbitrary. Mm-hmm. I guess is more what I'm thinking. It's I, I don't, especially the second time I watched it, I don't think it was all arbitrary, and I think it did have a, a broader thought process and, and thematic storytelling story to it uh, about acting and about the that the, the roles we play and things but it, it seemed haphazard and disjointed in in the individual things it was choosing mm-hmm. and and when you say that I mean you feel that David Lynch I mean I think we've talked about David Lynch before but maybe not in anything that ever made it into an episode no I don't think so but I mean but you believe that he really he does have more of a like intentional symbolism I don't think anything in a David Lynch movie I don't think anything in a David Lynch movie is there by accident um I would agree but I mean do you, I mean I, but I I mean I think he uses imagery that's potent, but not necessarily imagery that's specific. Okay. You know, I mean, I think he really does come from that impressionist background, mm-hmm. you know, not a surrealist background, but an impressionist background. And, you know, I, th- I think the strength and the potency of the imagery is really what matters. And I think he, that he's always in interviews really said, you know, he, you know, he feels it's really important in his work to let the audience bring their own literal interpretation or literal. And, you know, people will have wildly different interpretations or at least in, you know, his more surreal, more impressionist stuff that there is any real narrative through line. I don't think that he would ever say this, this is what happened in that film. But I think he, well, it's tough to say because, you know, how much of this is just my projection, but I, I think that it's 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 respectful of his audience not to undermine any other interpretations, but I think that there is a, 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 a developing narrative that every aspect, that, that each aspect of the movie serves to, serves. I'm sure, but I mean, I would say it's it's always with- and and I don't think he would just have you know someone go home to the monkey family at at the end. <laughs> well, that's because like I really sorry. Go ahead. Well, that's because he doesn't do absurdism. I mean, I think I think absurdism has a place, but it's an entirely different school of thought than impressionism. Um, I loved the monkey family. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. I, it was such a I don't know. Um, that the the last ge- the last job uh, or, or the the last what what were what were each of the vignettes uh, assignments the last assignment was so good up until that point in my mind and it was because until that point I had just been unthinkingly assuming that at the end of his day he would be dropped off the same place he was picked up right and that would be his real that, life that there was a real oscar right and having him dropped off there and then going it's such a beautifully acted and shot scene where he's he gets out of the car he goes to the door he's smoking a cigarette he reaches for the handle and then he just leans back against the wall and just takes one more minute you know, with the cigarette by himself outside before he has to go in and get into character. And the the kind of washing over you feeling of like this 
you know, this is his life mm-hmm. going from one to the next. That's a great moment. And, I, and, and one that, and I did read a couple of reviews, one that a lot of reviewers seem to miss. Like a lot of them say he's a businessman who does this during the day. Yeah. Um, and I just like, how could you miss that was the best part of the movie. I honestly think that was the best part of the movie. Yeah, I, d- I disagreed with the good reviews, but I really disagreed with the bad <laughs> reviews. Really. There was a couple of bad reviews I read where people are like, tries too hard to be weird. That phrase is like fucking kryptonite to me. <laughs> tries too hard to be weird. Fuck you if you say that in a review of, of any piece of art of any sort. Really. Ugh. You're just, all, all that means is... I felt dumb. I felt like I didn't get it, and now I'm mad. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna go get a drink. Which is sort of, just sort of what I'm saying, right? Now. <laughs> but at least I'm honest about it. Yeah. You, think, you think it tries too hard to be surreal? Oh, yeah. God damn it! Vous aurez tout temps de dormir bientôt. On va pas tarder à tous nous foutre la tasse. On devient caduc. Silence. Le vieux 5700 BC78 a dit la vérité. Les hommes ne veulent plus de machines visibles. Oui, ne veulent plus de moteurs, ne veulent plus d'action. Amen. Amen. Well, how about religious allegory? You gonna get into the... We can. That was another thing that that stuck in my craw a little bit and and that served to reinforce my initial impression of the movie is that it's just kind of throwing ideas at the wall without developing any of them. I mean, there's moments where the world of the movie is that these people are acting out for hidden, you know, teeny cameras that, that other people then can watch and enjoy that's kind of hinted at there's moments that that hint strongly at the whole thing being this kind of purgatorial afterlife type scenario especially the fact that he can get shot and not and stabbed in the neck and not die and yet other people seem to be able to die well from his perspective right i mean i think there is definitely an interpretation of the movie where everyone in the world has this job Right, but, but I think this is kind of a perspective, like a uh, how someone stepping into and out of living people's kind of bodies and living their lives for them briefly, what their perspective would be like. Some of the things, sure. Like, that. like I, mean, I never, I don't think, but there's no interpretation that works because then, then the director kind of shifts into a different thing. Right. I mean, I never gave. I mean, any sort of. I mean, at least after the first twenty minutes of the movie, any sort of. Mm-hmm there is an actual narrative or this is in any way well not even a narrative but an allegory which is why it just it, who I, it, at the end i was kind of like okay so now it's a religious allegory for a moment but that you know it does there's no insight to be gleaned cuz 10 minutes ago it was a different thing well i think the i mean i think the religious allegory was pretty sprinkled throughout um Sure, you. I mean, you're right, and, but I, and, and the the other things like the the cinema allegories was sprinkled throughout too. But mm-hmm. I, the two didn't the two didn't reinforce each other. It was just like, well, I mean, I think the, the idea of a you know of a director being the creator of a world that kind of director as God or or you know conversely that idea of you know everyone as actors you know the whatever the famous Shakespeare line is all the world's a stage that one <laughs> like and that those things you know. Work, work together conversely is, you know, I mean, but, but I, I, I think, I mean, I, I'm sure there are a lot of religious little tidbits to find, but I mean, I mean, they work for Theo. That's, you know, Theo is, means God. Who's Theo? Theo is his boss. He, they only, you only meet him for a minute. It's the mustache guy. With the with star those, over his eye? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I feel like with Kylie Minogue as, as Eve, hmm. that, you know, and they're, they, they have this very... Garden of Eden thing going on with the whatever the department store was, and and, and this again t- t- speaks to what you're talking about how it's it's just steeped in its own kind of French film culture. That's a movie that while that department store was open, he, that director had shot a movie in, and then now it's revisiting. Oh, okay, now that this the actual department store is actually shut down. That's it. Yeah, some, I had no idea about like that. that. You know, his chauffeur. Um, what was her name? Right. But- 
I don't, I don't remember, but she she was starred in an amazing movie called Eyes Without a Face. Right. And, and then the last shot of her putting that mask on is a callback mm-hmm. to the visual. Right. But, I mean, what it, it, does, it doesn't mean anything without that. What's that? It seems like it doesn't. That's uh, the scene of her. I mean, this is just an, an example, but the scene of her putting that mask on just has no meaning except for to be a reference to that. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the kind of emotional through line of the movie or the allegorical through line, you really just do need to be really steeped in that. Uh, right. That language that we don't speak. Um, or maybe not. I mean, I'm also perfectly willing to believe that this was just an old man <laughs> still with still a lot of skills, just being indulgent and doing all the great scenes <laughs> he have ever, ever wanted to do in a movie he didn't get to do. <laughs> Um, which I still love because there are also yeah. such fun scenes. So some of them, some of them really worked on their own to me, and some of them didn't. I thought the deathbed scene was just tedious, and a couple others. Yeah, that one. I, I thought he looked like David Lynch in the deathbed scene. I think that's probably a coincidence, though. But the hair and everything completely <laughs> made me think of that. Maybe not. I mean, that I want to read about because I did hear somewhere. I mean, that was a pretty much straight remake of a scene from another movie. I don't even know. Like someone was like, "That's a, that was supposed to be maybe funny." <laughs> um, like if you really know the original, that I mean, this is this I could be totally wrong on because I have not sure read and I have no idea what the original was. But that that was in some way supposed to be a satirical scene that right. you just don't get without knowing what it was about. Um, and that could just be right. some random thing I heard some random person sure. say. That, um, and and it's, it, it has its own purpose in that it's the first time it's, I think, it's it's hinted that other people he's interacting with in his vignettes are also doing assignments in the same way he is. Right. And that, that one also was pretty, pretty flat for me. Um, and the other thing I liked about the deathbed scene was how she put the soundtrack on the CD player before they yeah. acted it out. <laughs> That was a nice touch. But, I mean, definitely, like, as the film got more and more melancholy, you know, a lot of the just straight visceral pleasure of, you know, the first third where it's just, it's just colorful and and fun and uh, entertaining as that, as that starts to fade. I don't know. I mean, it, it definitely, uh, also definitely everything worked for me better the first time watching it, uh, where I actually did see it in a theater. I think that's a movie that's so meant to be seen in a theater. Huh. I'll bet. His one, there's a scene I, w- I want to get your thoughts on because I think it's kind of pivotal and I couldn't quite come to grips with it. And it's the scene where he tells the driver to stop and he jumps out of the limo and kills the banker version of himself. Mm-hmm. Which I, is the role he's in at the beginning of the movie, right? Right. Um, who we at first think is the real him. Right. Like the real, real Oscar is that guy. Right. And because at the beginning, it, it ch- the movie cheats a little bit by having him be in character after he gets into the limo. You remember that? He's yeah. talking on the cell phone to, it, about. But the limo isn't the limo yet. We're like, right? Am I wrong? I kind of did not. Does walk. he? He's in a limo and then he transitions into the limo with, I, the, like, cause with it's, his driver. Cause driver? As I remember it, like, I actually missed that when I watched it through the second time, but I remember it being just a regular limo. Or was he already in, like, his dressing room limo? That's a good question, and I, th- I think the the movie would be served by having made that more clear, but yeah, well, I re- man, both times I watched it, it's obviously tied in on him for those shots where he's in character right. as the banker, and then I, I think throughout the movie, the camera moves further and further from him until the camera's shooting him through the little window to the driving driver's mm-hmm. area. Um, and I thought that was real deliberate, but it also kind of makes it unclear which is which. I, you could be right that it's that it's not the same limo, but it's extremely confusing. Yeah. Well, I think it's supposed. It I think it's supposed to be confusing. I don't. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just that's kind of the moment where you're supposed to. It's supposed to be a oh wow, that what you know. That's when you're supposed to have the revelation I had at the very end. Right. Well, I kind of still wasn't sure i guess it kind of just throws that character into the the reality of that character into question but then it's not really resolved until the end maybe yeah but but it's definitely i mean i feel like you as the viewer are supposed to you know in the third act of the film 
really be getting lost in the same way that you know as he I is. I can't even think of this as being a movie with three uh, acts. It just didn't even work that way at all yeah. for me. Well, only in terms of I, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't even say third act. But as as he is starting to decline. And sure. as, as you're starting to see him becoming worn out, you know, he's starting to smoke pot and drink too much and refusing to eat, you know, as, mm-hmm. and you really don't have the sense of this is just, is this how every, every day is for him or is, is he really, is that, is there a, is this a dynamic character arc of, and, and I, and then you he's know, going th- out this way. Yeah. And then I think none of that really matters. I think, you know, I think in some way, his day is is representative maybe of a life or of a film or of a you know i think it can be any of these things sure sure it can be whatever the fuck you want because why the fuck not well (laughs) because because i mean i don't know because i think that movie a movie doesn't need to be a narrative you know that's something that we're so conditioned to want is even if not a traditional narrative at least an emotional narrative and I, I think this wasn't even necessarily an, an emotional narrative. Um, it just wasn't a narrative film. Right. And I think the bigger an idea you're tackling, kind of the more responsibility you have to let the idea define the, the narrative structure, if any, and not vice versa. I appreciate that about this movie for sure. You lose a lot, though, without, without the ability to... I think I think one thing it boils down to for me is the that except for him kind of starting to come apart at the seams near the end, I never got any sense of momentum in the movie. And I don't know if there was supposed to be. Right, right. I mean, I, the format of the movie actively undermines there mm-hmm. being any momentum in the movie, and it, it, it absolutely was deliberate. Although I, I do feel like that they despite what I was just saying, that there is, you know, fairly strong emotional narrative in, or at least, and it's not the narrative you, that you usually see in a film, you know, that's a rise leading to climax. You know, it's really climax. Sure. The climax of the film, you know, I think is in Marin, uh, you know, is, is the most vibrant, the most exciting part of the film and it, and leading to decline. Because, you know, I, mean, I think the writer and director of this movie is like 85 huh. and kind of lamenting the death of his art form. And, and I think that it really is an arc of all the excitement really is in the beginning of the film. And from then it really is moving on to decline and regret and melancholy without redemption from that necessarily. Just going home to your sweet monkey family and going to sleep. <laughs> The, the fact that there's a two hour over, I think, two hour, pretty surreal and definitely non-traditional narrative film that's almost completely in French that is totally killing it with reviewers. Yeah, it had like a write up in Entertainment Weekly. And it's on it's like I said, it's on almost everybody's best 10 of the year, best 50 or whatever. And it's a no small number of theirs. Is it number one? Is such a good thing. That is such a good thing to that this movie it has done this. Mm-hmm. I love to in my mind picture that some young, totally insane <laughs> uh, genius filmmaker with some amazing idea for a narrative that's not traditional or t- undermines or subverts other aspects of tr- you know traditional filmmaking that he can make a pitch and and have ha- have a better chance of having his movie. Or her movie made right and this is all really love that it makes me so happy to picture that yeah this, i mean this is also the year you know the ben zeitlin has got you know i mean beast of the southern wild has like fucking eight oscar nominations or whatever uh-huh. but you know also super non-traditional narrative super low budgets yeah i mean that we're gonna see some good things there, and there's no question that this movie works for a lot and a lot of people mm-hmm. and 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 even if it doesn't completely for me i can still be just totally grateful that it exists 
I just, you know, I hope next time there's a movie with talking cars in it, <laughs> that the cars will have something to say. You know what I mean? There is the part with the talking cars. Man, right. I don't know if there was a thing. If there was a thing, I missed <laughs> what the thing was. I mean, I kind of, I do feel like maybe just the whole end of the movie, you know, he just goes home to his monkeys and then it's like, then the director is like, listen, this was an absurd movie. The cars are going to talk. This is just a silly fucking thing. Making movies is ridiculous. Do something else with your life. I don't know. I mean, do you want to talk about any of the specific uh, vignettes before we go? I mean, there's, I think, a few that we haven't mentioned at all. Um, if there's, yeah, I mean, I, I, I you know, I, I had a variety of different thoughts go through my mind in each one. They were all kind of fleeting just because of the nature of the movie. And, and that's part of why I think I didn't come away with a strong feeling that I had taken anything away from. Like, there, I didn't feel like there was a takeaway from the movie at all in some ways. But, um, yeah, is there any that you w- want to look the at? motion capture one was interesting just because I've been studying a lot of, you know, motion capture technique. Sure. And I was like, man, I wish I had that motion capture data. <laughs> like... <laughs> Like, that guy was doing some... Like, he was really fucking good. Um, and he was just like, I'm really fucking right. good. Right, I mean, that had to be a body double, right? I mean, the guy, the I, actor is too I'm old. I'm gonna guess in some scenes, yes, some scenes, no. I think that really was him running. Like, we were just running full fucking out. Yeah. Shooting that gun. Yeah. And, it's, and just watching that was just so fucking exhausting. Like, I just wanted to throw up after, like... <laughs> um, yeah, but I have, I have like no idea. Like you know, if anything in this movie is supposed to have meaning, did the, did that scene? Um, I have, have no less? idea if anything in this movie is supposed to have meaning. <laughs> right. We are in such agreement there. But it, it was really fun. Sure, I really like to watch it, and I really like to be like, yeah. There's another giant penis in that scene. Now that I think about it, too. Okay. When they when they when they yeah, pan over to penis. this, yeah, that was right. Poof. That's foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, trying to think. I mean, yeah, definitely the. Uh, I wanted to. I really wanted to watch that gangster movie he had the scene from. Like, I wanted to watch that guy be that character, uh, probably more than mm. any other vignettes. Like, I would. I would have really loved that movie. And then it, that made me. Uh, uh, audience, if if we have an audience by now, would you write in and. Uh, Tell me what are some good French gangster movies, because I'm really not sure. Aaron, you're breaking the fourth wall right now. Oh, walls! <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely send in send in a an email. Um, my email address is Jesse at inthecut.org, and you um you can send in if you have a suggestion for a French gangster film. Sure, let's do it. Um, but I really wanted to watch that one in particular. I wanted to watch that character that you know that he fucking just came just inhabited for this you know 10 minute piece huh. i wanted to watch that guy's movie i wanted to know why, why he was so mad at that guy he was scary was it his brother just i like, mean it was the same actor playing both guys right yeah he was probably the same guy but in the universe of of the movie he was being a character in it was the same guy i don't know they had scary mustaches only one of them had a mustache. He had to glue the one onto the other one. Yeah. Do I have to explain this whole movie to you, Aaron? <laughs> what did the mustache mean? It all makes sense when you think about it. That's all I've been trying to say. <laughs> uh, um, so there was, I'm just trying to think if there's any uh, of the actual vignettes that we haven't mentioned. I mean, there's the first one where he just does amazing prosthesis and is sad on the street. Yeah, there, I mean, there wasn't much to that one. I think at that point, you are still kind of on the fence. Well, for, for me, you're still kind of on, I was still kind of on the fence about whether this is all going to make sense mm-hmm. to be one person. Like, is he a rich guy who, surprise, he's a panhandler and he gets rich <laughs> pan or something? You know, you're just trying to mm-hmm. guess at it at that point still. Um, right. I loved. And, he still did a great job, even though there was nothing for him to say or do. I mean, him oh. walking down the street with the cane, with the two bar- bodyguards behind him, was fucking beautiful. Yeah, it was just so. Yeah, I mean, just his physicality, and I think. I mean, so much of this movie must have just been. I mean, because he and the director have been, you know, working together for 
forever. Right, and and he and the director worked together on. Uh, there was a film that used that was three short films by three different directors, and it was called Tokyo. And the character he plays, the green suited kind of manic. Mr. Leprechaun Shit. slash Beauty and the Beast guy was the character from that movie. Right. Um, but I, th- I just, I feel like so much of this movie just has to be that guy. who was like, I just want to show off everything this guy could do if I could make 12 movies with him yeah. because it's, the, it would be the best thing ever. And, and it is, I mean, he's so fucking good. He is so fucking good. There's no, there's no question like, about that. I mean, that's, I mean, really my takeaway is whatever else. It's just a, purely pleasurable just to watch that guy do his thing yeah yeah it's any moment i was being swept away by the movie it was because of because he was just blowing my mind and just ruining my expectations (laughs) just by by totally crushing him so so good the sit in the uh, (laughs) the musical interlude in the middle where he turns around and he goes instead of you know one two (laughs) he goes three twelve shit that seemed totally improvised. Yeah, that was... And because it's a really long shot, and because it was fucking wonderful, they just left it in. <laughs> it's, it's pure speculation on my part, but I, 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 in the moment of watching it, you could never have convinced me otherwise. Yeah, I mean, that one moment right there is probably the best thing that's ever happened in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think I've ever just, like, been just a, like just like straight up been made really happy by a thing or just really just like intensely like holy like by any like long built up thing where the the man shoots the other man or the no great narrative thing has ever led to just that man being crazy with its accordion and <laughs> three twelve shit doesn't sound as good in english either no no you would have to do it in french <laughs> important movie points i think i th- right i think we've we've really shown our <laughs> inexpertise <laughs> as we flounder around trying to understand the bare minimum of what this movie was doing yeah like- but fuck it you know what if the you know art's subjective like i was saying at the beginning so it's this is our subjective take on it i guess What's the next movie you want to do? Do you want to um, read out our sponsorship deals first? Or oh, how, fucking hey, I was going to do that when we got back from our musical interlude that I'm later going to edit into the middle when you go to get more chicken wine. Aaron, what are our scratch-off lottery tickets? Uh, well, Jesse, read I kind of fucked this up because I got the scratch-off lottery tickets while I was drinking, and only one of them seems to have remained in my pocket for any length of time, so... Today, our Louisiana lottery is only rapid refund. <laughs> Tell me about rapid refund, please. Well, it's got some dollars on it. Okay. $100 bills all over. Hundred Pictures I of $100 bills. I think this may be like a tax refund season thing. Right, yeah. This is from the Louisiana State Lottery. This is a first a new sponsor mm-hmm. on the show. Uh, if you get three like prizes, you win that prize. Okay. 
So you're not scratching off pictures on this one? You're just scratching off dollar amounts? Well, I'm scratching off check marks, and if we get three like prizes, we win that prize. Okay. We're simple folk here in Louisiana. But wait, if you get two like prizes and the dollar sack, you win double that prize. Wow. All right. Um, Aaron, before you, you scratch it you're off. You're ruining. I'm already scratching it, and you're ruining the suspense. We're to everyone's favorite part of the show where we just scratch lottery tickets. Shh, and, shut up. All right. I, Here it Because goes. you fucked I, up. Because we, I expected you to sack. fuck up. Shut up. <laughs> we got a dollar sack. But already... Because I expected you to fuck up, I bought you a lottery ticket, too. Right. So the one you're scratching off is for me. I'm scratching off now, but we're... Okay. The thing is, I've already scratched off all of them, so there's not going to be <laughs> a ton of suspense. suspense. Do you think we want a bunch? Well, it's still suspense to me no! and the audience. <laughs> we did. Oh, shit. I got a dollar sack. I, I had suspense for a second. But I'm just going to explain the suspense to you uh, as if you were there. Sure. Um, right. This is going to be more of a story and less of a real-time event. I think you all heard early on that I did have the dollar sack scratched off. That was the first no, thing. No, I was, t- I was talking over that part. All right, but they might have still heard I'm I'm pretty loud. Okay, that's I can't argue with that. And after that, I did scratch off 1,110. And if I, any of those had been similar, they would have combined with the dollar sack to make us some money. They didn't You only know. get to scratch off three numbers in this game? No, 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 no. But if I, if, shut up. <laughs> These people understand. Aaron, radio is theater of These the mind, so you have to explain tickets. what you're seeing. I explained it, but I had a little chicken wine. I got a little loose. I think everyone can really sympathize with having too much chicken <laughs> wine. Uh, okay, like I was trying to say when you were rudely interrupting mm-hmm. me. I bought a caddy cash ticket just in case you didn't come through. It's not because I don't trust you or love you. It's just because <laughs> I thought you were going to let me down like you always do. You thought that it's really unfair that you thought I might fuck up my lottery ticket buying because I would never do it's that. Tr- it's true that you came through with a lottery ticket. I'm really happy I about I that. I did 50% of my duty here. Caddy cash is a $1 scratch off lottery ticket that's not cat themed. It is Caddyshack themed. Mm-hmm. Scratching it off now. This is your ticket, Aaron, so I hope you are a winner. So what's Caddy Cash? That goes in the garbage. Caddy Cash, we our prize was nine hundred dollars, which was the maximum prize for Caddy Cash. We got two shoes, two trophies, one bug spray, one club, but we need three to win, and so we did not. There is a narrative arc to our Caddy Cash cash scratch off unlike the movie we just reviewed i don't think there's actually a thorough intent i believe you're just reading that into the caddy cash well the thing is that experiencing a work of art is a subjective experience and the so thing you can't about you... your mother is i'm not sure what it is but what oh shut up just, just scratch some more tickets <laughs> do you want me to scratch off our emergency reserve ticket because we've done so badly with the tickets today yeah do it this is Cool Nines. Ooh, Top prize I'm is down with Cool Nines. It's not so much. I've had $900 before. Oh, Aaron, guess what our cool number is? It's a good number. Is it nine? I'm not going to scratch... Shut up. I'm not going to scratch the rest until you guess what number it is. Well, I already it's between, guessed... It's between one and 50. I guessed nine. It's not nine. You have to keep guessing until you get it. Is it 28? No, it's a cooler number than 28. Um, think you have to get nerdy. Think of the nerdiest number you can think of. Twenty-three. Think of the. That's a good one. But think of the second nerdiest number you can think of. Forty-two. You've got it. Forty-two. Mm. It is. That's our cool number. Here are our numbers so far as we go. Should I try and drag this out as long as possible? Oh yeah, that's what the people are paying for. So far, we have fifty minutes of talking about the movie and about two hours of talking <laughs> about scratch-off lottery tickets. <laughs> 42. Oh my god. Just do we win or do we need another one? Nope, we already won. Oh my god. 23. That's what I'm saying. There we go. All right, so our prize for matching 42 was $1. We have just won a dollar. I knew this was a good idea to pull out the emergency reserve. How much off lottery How ticket. much would we it's got? All come together. Sh- how much would we have got if we had matched 23? $5. See? <laughs> Tell me. Goose <laughs> man.
on the next episode, Aaron and I are going to talk about the 2011 film Attack the Block, which I'm really excited to talk about. Uh, we had both seen it, uh, I think, at least a couple times before. Uh, I think just once for me. Okay. And and one of the more enjoyable movies I've seen in a long time. Just really, really fun. Anything anything worth keeping an eye out for as, as we rewatch it? Well, what, what I really have loved, or at least uh, this time through, I was just... Uh... Just the creature effects are, mm-hmm. you know, so fantastic. Another thing I thought it's pretty fun. I haven't rewatched this movie at all, but uh, it's it contrast. It's a great contrast with uh, the movie Super Eight, which I think came out at around the same time and was really billed as that, and really intentionally was that, you know, return to the fun Spielberg movies of your childhood. Yeah, in in fact, before this, before we had ever started recording this show i remember having a great conversation with you that contrasted super eight to attack the block and that's i think one i think that's the main reason i at least on my end i wanted to do this movie with you all right well i'm sure don't remember anything about super eight now so yeah me neither <laughs> that conversation might not go as well sure but, uh... well i think i think that I, I the and we'll 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 we can maybe start by talking about that when we get to record that but i think i think that one one was really heralded as the as the movie to inherit the kind of the Goonies crown, mm-hmm. which was Super Eight, and then one actually deserves to inherit the Goonies <laughs> crown, which was Attack the Black. So I think that's a that's a that's an enjoyable way to to come at this movie. Um, really, really recommend it. That's that's going to be a really fun one to watch no matter what. So if you go to inthecut.org, you can see all the different ways you can watch Attack the Block, and join us next week to get into it with us. Cool. Do it. Do it.